When I was in England this last February, I visited a lot of Anglican churches, as well as a few Catholic churches. Right away, I could feel a difference between the two. But it was only after about my 25th church or so that I could articulate why the Anglican churches felt different than the Catholic ones. On the whole, the Anglicans had stopped taking the Christian faith seriously. Now, this is not to say that the Anglicans were no longer Christian or that they did not care about Jesus. They certainly did. But judging by their churches alone, the Christian faith, and specifically the worship of Almighty God, was no longer a serious, grave, or sacrificial affair for them. When I walked into the Catholic churches, the focus of the building was still on altar and tabernacle, and these were accentuated by the greatest art and architecture available at the time the church was built. The Anglican churches were also once like this. When each of their churches were built, they were architectural marvels, offering the best the society of the time had to offer. But in the intervening period, these Anglican churches began to fill with many other things peripherally related to the worship of Almighty God. Death monuments, pseudo-religious pieces of modern art, displays on environmentalism or social justice, and children's projects. Now, none of these things are bad, mind you, but when placed in the body of a church, they take focus away from the actual purpose of the church, which is worship. The Anglicans let all of these things creep into and then eventually overtake their churches, because they stopped taking the Christian faith and the worship of Almighty God seriously. Recently, I experienced something similar in the Catholic world. Three weeks ago, I was at St. James Cathedral in Seattle for the annual Chrism Mass, where the priests of the Archdiocese gather with their bishop to renew their priestly promises, and where the bishop consecrates the sacramental oils that he then sends out to all of the churches in the diocese. This is a solemn and serious occasion, and in many ways the cathedral brought its best. The building is beautiful and well-maintained. The altar servers were well-trained and exact, and the choir was powerful and transcendent. But then, accompanying the unconsecrated oils in procession, the cathedral chose to use truly ugly banners, devoid of symbolism or meaning, some even falling apart. And they used these banners because some children had created them during a religious summer camp at the cathedral. Now, don't get me wrong, I adore children. They are wonderful, and they should be welcomed into our church at all costs. But the question we face is not on the relative merits of children, but on how we view the faith and how we treat the faith. Do we view the faith and worship as childish and therefore meriting the things of children? Or do we view the faith as the most important, most serious enterprise in which we can possibly engage on this earth? 
and therefore meriting the absolute best we can offer, intellectually and culturally. I think the example of the Sri Lankan martyrs gives us our answer. Seemingly every year for the last decade, in some Christian minority country, there is a bombing of a Christian church on a Christian holy day. Sri Lanka now joins a list including Egypt, Pakistan, Kenya, Iraq, and Nigeria, where Christians have been targeted and killed in their places of worship on important solemnities. Imagine knowing this and living in a Christian minority country. Would we still have the courage to go to church on Christmas, during Holy Week, and on Easter? Most of us don't know whether we would or not, because we have never been tested to this extreme. It would be so easy to say that the threat of violence was a legitimate reason to miss Mass, and we would not be theologically wrong in saying it. It would be so easy to say that God understands. And in a sense, he does. And yet, in these countries, our Christian brothers and sisters still attend Mass every Easter, despite the threat of violence, because they take the worship of Almighty God more seriously than anything else in the world, including their own lives. And these Christians are not unique to our time. Look at the apostles who gathered on Sunday and preached in the temple, even though the civil leaders had just brutally murdered their leader. They had to gather with locked doors. Or look at St. John, who was exiled for his faith to the island of Patmos and shared in the distress, the kingdom, and the endurance we have in Jesus but who still worshipped God on the Lord's day. And the tradition continues through the courageous example of the Christians in ancient Rome or the Catholics in Elizabethan England, who would gather for Mass every Sunday even though it was everywhere illegal and punishable by death if they were caught. Ten of the eleven apostles were martyred as were hundreds if not thousands of Roman Christians and English Catholics. And these were mostly peasants and ordinary people who died the death of heroes for their faith. In modern society, we regard nothing more seriously or more gravely than death. And yet these Christians, now in Sri Lanka and before them throughout our history, have believed that even death should not be taken as seriously as the worship of Almighty God. As much as I wish hundreds of our fellow Christians were not killed each year for our faith, I wish even more that their example were not in vain, and that it would inspire us to question what we are doing here, in this country, in this Western world. Almost without fail, when I enter into discussions about the Mass, the standard for a good Mass is whether it makes us feel good. That is, whether the music is uplifting, whether the homily is inspiring, whether the community is inviting. I cannot deny that these qualities are helpful, that it is easier to convince people that Mass is important when Mass is done well. 
But it all seems so shallow when people are literally risking their lives to attend Sunday worship. How can we begin to take our faith as seriously as the hundreds of ordinary everyday people, now martyrs, whose names we do not know, but whose examples we cannot deny? First, I think we have to appreciate what Bishop Elizondo always says when he comes to do a confirmation. We do not deserve to be here. We need to be here. Mass is not something we do to feel good or because some external agent forces us to come. We are here because we realize that we owe everything to our Creator, and we feel in every fiber of our being a desire to offer ourselves back to Him. And this is exactly what the Mass is. It is a participation in the self-offering of Jesus to His Father in Heaven. The worship of Almighty God through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit is not something we deserve, nor is it some external imposition. It is something that we need. It is the deepest longing of our hearts, which we crave more than food, water, or oxygen. It is such a necessary part of our lives that our lives are not worth living without it. So necessary that we would risk our lives for it. Second, if we realize that there is nothing more important, nothing we need more than the worship of Almighty God in the Mass, then we begin to bring God our best. Not just in architecture, music, art, and culture, but also in our own lives. We try to bring Him the fruits of our prayer. We try to bring Him our study of the Sunday readings. We try to bring him our good works from the week. When we realize that the Mass is an offering in worship, we begin to reflect on what exactly we are offering when we come here each weekend. I hope, as we grow closer to Jesus together in our parish, that eventually we can say we are bringing God the best of everything we have, our wealth, our talents, our time, and even our lives.